You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today. Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1. was strongly impressed earlier this week to bring this message to you, and the Lord did not change that in my heart, so here we go. Romans chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 16, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 2. In verse 16, I usually don't read this lengthy of a passage, so I would like you all just to take your Bibles and follow along as I read. Today I want to speak on the subject of how well is your conscience working? How well is your conscience working? Romans 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Boy, do we ever see that happening today, the truth being suppressed. Before we go any further, I want you to understand this. Do you know that the Bible speaks four times as much about the wrath of God as it does about the love of God. But usually we only hear about God's love, and He is a loving God. Amen? But He is also a God of wrath. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, we're talking about the conscience. How well is your conscience working? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, be understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. But that because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and birds and four-fettered beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile, vile affections. For even the women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the er their error which was meet. And even as God, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. 
being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. It sounds like the day and age in which we live. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest another. For when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest dost the same thing. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and dost the same thing, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after the hardness and impotent heart, treasured up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God." who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who uh, by patience continuous in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience. How well is your conscience working? Their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another." In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. In this passage of scripture that I've just read, thank you for your patience as I read the lengthy passage. We started out talking about the conscience and we ended talking about the conscience. When you talk about the conscience of man, it's found 32 times in the New Testament. And of the 32 times that we find the conscience mentioned, there are seven different consciences that appear in our study of the scriptures. First of all, the Bible talks about a good conscience. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience. A good conscience is a conscience that functions as God intended it to function. Give me an amen. The Bible also speaks about a pure conscience. It says, I thank God whom I serve with a 
pure conscience. The Bible also speaks about a clear conscience. Paul said, and herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. The Bible speaks about a strong conscience and strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses or their conscience exercised to discern good and evil. A strong conscience can tell what is right and what is wrong. So we have a good conscience, we have a pure conscience, we have a clear conscience, and we have a strong conscience mentioned in Scripture. And that's the kind of conscience that God wants every one of us here today to have. But the Bible also speaks on the negative side of a conscience that is weak. His conscience being weak. The Bible gives two chapters to address an individual who has a weak conscience. One is Romans chapter 14, and the other is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and is speaking about a weak conscience in the heart of a believer. And it tells us some things about someone who has a weak conscience. It tells us that they are weak in faith, that they are easily offended and upset, they are critical and judgmental of others, they love to argue and debate in order to justify their own sinful behavior. They are carnal because of their bent toward worldliness and their conscience simply doesn't function the way that God intended it to. That's someone who has a weak conscience. Then the Bible talks about those who have a defiled conscience. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. A dirty conscience. We're going to talk about that a little bit more here in just a minute. Some of the teachings of Jesus concerning the conscience. Then the Bible also speaks about a seared conscience. It said, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. When flesh is seared, it no longer has any feeling. So this is someone whose conscience has become so weak, so defiled, that it now has become seared. There's, there's no conviction anymore in the area of what is right and what is wrong. This is an individual that the Bible calls a foolish scorner in the book of Proverbs. Now those of you who have been attending the Wednesday night services know that we've been talking about the family. And a few weeks ago we talked about how to deal with a rebel. And then we talked about how to deal with a fool. And the last time I spoke, we talked about how to deal with a scorner. And I was surprised, really was surprised, at uh, some of the feedback that was given to me. Uh, that next morning, I received three emails of those telling me how much they appreciated the message on the scorner and how timely it was because of the scorning that they are dealing with in their own personal families. And so it, it struck a note. And I want to tell you something. We're living in a day and age where there are more scorners than I have ever seen. We come in contact with them regularly. Solomon describes a scorner as one who rejects instruction and rebuke. 
nobody's going to tell me what to do. He walks after his own lust. He is proud. He's unable to understand and comprehend sound wisdom. He mocks God. He mocks the word of God. He mocks the judgments of God. And he mocks the ways of God. He delights in his scorning. He is a shame unto his father, a grief unto his mother. He causes contention and strife. He is sensual, immoral, greedy, and rebellious. Does that not sound like many people that we know when we come in contact with regularly? So how do you deal with a scorner, someone whose conscience has become so defiled? There's nothing that you can do. Now usually we think there's something we must be able to do, but there is nothing you can do. And you have to come to the realization that you cannot change the heart of a scorner. The only one that can change a scorner's heart is God. Because their heart has become so hardened toward the things of the Lord. Insomuch that, listen to the words of Solomon. He said, he that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. It's because that scorner's conscience has become so defiled that he'll actually take your love and your book and throw it right back at you. It says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet the wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so a scorner has absolutely no fear of God. So realize that there's nothing that you can do to change the heart of a scorner. The second thing I want you to understand, and this is, this is difficult for many, but you have to separate yourself from the scorner. You have to separate yourself. The Bible said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the what? Scornful. He doesn't sit down and try to buddy up and fellowship with the scorner. The Bible says, cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out, yea, strife and reproach shall cease. So you cast them out. You separate yourself from the scorner. Now, please listen to me, church. I can tell just by the hush that's in the congregation here today, that this strikes a note especially to those who are parents, especially to those who have the gift of mercy, especially to those who err on the side of compassion. I understand where you're coming from. But I also understand what the Word of God teaches us and says to us about someone whose conscience has become so defiled that they have turned into a scorner. Do not support them. Don't support a scorner in his scorning. Refuse to enable them. The Bible says in Psalm 107, Because they rebelled against the words of God and rejected the counsel of the Most High, therefore he, God, brought down their heart with labor. He made things hard on them. The way of the transgressor is what? It's hard. But when we are always there trying to support and encourage and bail out the transgressor, 
It does them no good. It says they fell down. He burdened them with labor. They fell down. And listen to what it says. And there was none to help them. So because there was none to help them, it says they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. There was only one place they could turn to, and that wasn't the government. Wasn't the government supporting the error of their ways. There was none to help. And because there was none to help, they turned to the Lord. The third thing you need to understand in dealing with the scorner is that you must turn them over to God for his chastisement. Whosoever the Lord loveth, he what? God will chasten them. The Bible says judgments are prepared for scorners. So you turn them over to the Lord for judgment, just as the prodigal son's father had to turn him over. And by the way, listen to me, church, he didn't go bail his son out of the pig pen when that's when his son ended up. His son had to get out of that pig pen and head back home with a repentant spirit. Number four is when you come in contact with a scorner, you need to admonish them. You don't encourage them, but you admonish them. And what do you admonish them to do? To repent and get right with God. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13 through verse 15, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, have no company with him. Going back to that separation from, that have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Listen to me. People ought to be ashamed to be a scorner. But yet they delight in their scorning. We better not be delighting with them. We better not be encouraging them. Admonishment must come. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So we admonish the scorner. The fifth thing that we need to do when we're dealing with someone who has such a defiled conscience that they have become a foolish scorner is that we need to pray and pray and pray and pray like the widow who went to the unjust judge. We need to pray without ceasing for their repentance and their restoration back to God. So we have a pure conscience. We have a good conscience. We have a clear conscience. We have a strong conscience. We have a weak conscience. We have a defiled conscience. And we have a seared conscience. How many is that? Seven. No, that's six. Well, one more. An evil conscience. You believe it? An evil conscience. A conscience that's weak, becomes defiled, becomes seared, and the last level is an evil conscience. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now, I want to read this passage of Scripture to you. Are you still all with me? I want to read this passage of scripture to you, and, and you tell me whether or not you think that we as a nation, because as a nation, I believe our moral conscience has vanished. 
I believe we've actually entered into this level of now having an evil conscience. Started out being weak, started out then defiled, seared, and now it's really become corrupt. But listen to this passage of Scripture. This is in Isaiah chapter 5, beginning with verse 20. Are you listening? Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. He's describing the evil conscience. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as a fire devoureth the stubble, and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossom shall go out as dust, because they have cast away, they have cast away the law of the Lord, and they have despised the word of the Holy One. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against them. Does that not perfectly describe the culture in which we now find ourselves? Because the conscience is such an important part of what Ephesians 3 verse 16 says is our inner man, I think it's very important for us to understand how God intended the conscience to function. In that passage that we read in Romans chapter 2, come on, stay, stay with me. In that passage we read in Romans chapter 2, in verse 14 through verse 15, Paul said the conscience is an inner witness that the Lord has given to us. It's an inner witness. It either accuses us or it excuses us. Say that with me. It either accuses us or it excuses us. It either says, no, that's wrong, or it says, yes, that's right. It accuses or else excuses us. That's how God intended the conscience to function. Jesus described the conscience as the eye, okay? As the eye that lets light into the body. Listen to what Jesus said here. He said, the light of the body is the eye, referring to the conscience. If therefore thine eye be single or clear, a clear conscience, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye, thy conscience, be evil, the evil conscience, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? What is, what is Jesus teaching? He's teaching that the conscience lets light into the body. But if we allow our conscience to become weak, if we allow our conscience to become defiled, if we allow our conscience to become seared, it'll eventually be evil and no light will come in. We see these windows up here, okay? Let's say over the years, no one ever pays any attention whatsoever to the windows and just lets them get dirtier and dirtier. What happens as a window gets dirtier and dirtier? It lets what? Less light. Less light into the building. As your conscience gets dirtier and dirtier, it lets 
less light into the body. And doesn't the Bible identify Christians as children of light? We are not children of darkness. We are children of light. So what does that tell me? It tells me that I have to keep my conscience clear. I have to keep it good. I have to keep it pure in order for it to function as God intended it to function. I remember Jiminy Cricket. I may remember a little song that Jiminy Cricket used to sing. And always let your conscience be your guide. Is that the right tune? Can we always let our conscience be our guide? That depends. If it's good, it's pure, it's strong, clear, yeah, maybe so. But not if it's weak and defiled and seared and evil. No way. So can the conscience be our guide? I would say, well, if you give it the right standard to function upon, yes. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time you ought to be teachers, one have need teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and you become such that have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is but a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, spiritually mature, even those who by reason of use have their senses, their conscience, exercised to discern both good and evil. I want to tell you something. If you have the word of God hidden in your heart, then your conscience can function upon the word that you have there. But if your conscience doesn't have anything to operate upon, then... What causes it to function? The wisdom of men? Certainly not the wisdom of God. So yes, your conscience could be your guide if you have memorized and meditated and you have hidden God's word in your heart. It could be your guide if you keep it pure. See, how do you keep your conscience pure? Always having the desire to have a clear conscience that's void of offense toward God and toward men. When you sin, get it right. Hello. When you sin, get it right. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Not only to confess, but to repent. He that confesseth and forsaketh his sin will prosper. And so we get things right with God. But not only with God, but with our fellow man. Always having a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Keep your conscience clear. With others. Getting your conscience clear with God is an easy thing. But going to someone else and saying, I was wrong for, will you please forgive me? That's another thing. There's some of you here today, your conscience is not functioning and operating the way that God intended it to. Because your conscience is not clear. Maybe it is with God, but it's not clear with your fellow man. Maybe there is someone right now that God is bringing to your mind that you need to go to and you have to say, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? That's the way we strengthen our what? Our conscience. We get it back to being what God intended it to be. We, we give it the right standard, which is the word of God, and then we keep it pure. We keep it clean. The last thing I want to mention about this is that 
we obey the promptings that the Holy Spirit puts in our conscience. Romans, 1, Romans 9, verse 1, Paul said, My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. God will prompt you in your conscience through the Holy Spirit, and when He does that, obey Him. Because if you do not obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, what happens to the conscience? It gets weaker. It'll become defiled eventually. It'll become what? Seared. And God help us from it ever entering into that last stage where it becomes evil. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, remember that television show that you first turned on and you were watching it? And uh, boy, you were convicted. Things were said. You saw things being done there that, I mean, really convicted your heart. And boom, you turned it off. Well, next week you, you turned it back on. For whatever reason, you turned it back on and you watched it a little bit further. You started to get drawn into the plot. and it, Things just got raunchy. You turned it off. The next week, you turn it back on and you watch it. And now it's become one of your favorite TV shows. How in the world did that happen? How did it happen, church? You didn't keep your conscience pure. You didn't keep it clean. You got defiled. And then it gets to a place where it becomes seared and doesn't even bother you anymore. How, how come, and I'm going to use myself as an example, how come there is certain music that is so offensive to me but another Christian over here is rocking and rolling to it and just thinks they're in the spirit. How can that be? I'll tell you how it can be because I've kept my conscience clean. I've kept my conscience pure in the area where it comes to music. Those over here have not. And so what they can rock and roll to and think they're in the spirit, I'm over here and I'm grieved. Are you all with me where I'm going with this? Today, in our culture, in our churches, and in our own personal lives, I believe we are experiencing what I'll call the vanishing of our conscience. The Bible prophesies that the closer we draw to the coming of our Lord... And the end of this age, and I think we're so very close. Listen to what the Bible said. Iniquity will abound. The love of many will wax cold. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. And perilous times will come. Now, am I... Am I Am I seeing this all wrong? Or are you in agreement with me that that's probably about where we're at? I don't think that sin has ever been as heinous as it is in our present culture. Our world's a mess. 
drugs, prostitution, pornography. We have become a porn nation. Sexual perversion of every kind. Someone just just told me this week that Canada has legalized bestiality now. Adultery, drunkenness, extravagance, materialism, selfishness, crime, violence, abortion, the opioid epidemic. That's really hit here in Jackson County, if you know anything about what's going on here in our county. Our inner cities have now become war zones. MS-13 plagues our nation. You know why this has all happened? Our conscience has vanished. As it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. As I uh, thought about as it was in the days of Noah, I've just described it, and as it was in the days of Lot, I started to think, you know what, we've even gone lower than Sodom and Gomorrah. At least they didn't legalize same-sex marriage. Such sinful behavior as I have just described is nothing new. There is nothing new under the sun. But I think the difference... And you may disagree with me here, and that's okay. You totally have your prerogative to be wrong. It doesn't bother me at all. (laughs) But I think the great difference between our generation and past generations is our failure to see sin as exceedingly sinful. We... For whatever reason, the blindness of our own hearts, we cannot see what sin is doing to us personally and as a nation. You know what the problem is with all these school shootings? I'm here to tell you, it's not more gun control. That is not the issue. You will not solve it. I want to tell you something. When I was, when I turned 12 years old, one of the, of course, I'm from, from the UP too, you know, where they say the UP is where men are men and so are women. And, uh, <laughs> but up there, when you turned 12, there was a passage into manhood, you got your first 22 rifle. Do you remember those days? Every young, every young man got a 22 rifle. There was no school shootings then. We're having to bar our schools 
put metal detectors outside the doors, bulletproof glass. We now are putting together a security team here in our church. What's happened? Our conscience has vanished. We have removed God. What a novel idea. Let's put God back in our schools. What a novel idea. Why don't we pray before classes begin? Why don't we do like they do in the Philippines, all stand outside and say they're a pledge of allegiance and hold up a Bible and quote a Bible verse and sing a hymn and have a word of prayer before they go into their classes? No, we have become wise in our own eyes. We have removed God. And when you remove God, you remove God's protection. In removing of God, we have removed His law. And His law is that which gives the knowledge of sin. Sin is a transgression of the law and will result in the judgment of an almighty God. That sin, by the commandment of God, might become exceedingly sinful. So what do we do today? Now that we have removed God and we have removed the law of God and we've removed the commandments of God. And I'll tell you this, last year, when we started out the new year, God put in my heart to preach four. It went to five messages on keeping the commandments. Maybe some of you remember that. I had more negative reaction to that series of five messages than any other messages I have ever preached. Legalistic, pharisaical, putting us back under the law. Today we applaud a person who discloses what in the past would be looked upon as wicked. I just jotted some things down here. The filthy, sensual, violent, immoral music of our day. The wicked talk shows, such as The View, which has corrupted the women of our nation. Sodomite marriages, the tabloids that line our super, supermarket checkouts, the lewd humor and the glorification of sin in all of our sitcoms now, the video games that are wicked, evil, violent, immoral, and many times are full of witchcraft, the cartoons that now entertain our children are full of immorality and witchcraft, the scourge of social media. I was sent this just the other day. I don't know how many of you know who came across in my email um, from one of our members. 
Uh, Tim Cook. Do you, who know, do you know who Tim Cook is? Tim Cook is the CEO of Apple. He is a self-proclaimed, very open homosexual. He just came out with a speech. And you can find this speech on CNBC.com. And this is the title of his speech. Don't let your kids use social media. When we have the CEO of Apple, a proclaimed homosexual who has more sense than our Christian parents, there's something wrong in the church of Jesus Christ. Everything that is vulgar, disrespectful, and illegal is now considered cool. Everything that is good and sacred is now openly ridiculed. I want to tell you something, church. It didn't used to be that way. The evidence of our social and moral decline is everywhere around us. Some of the things that I have seen plastered on t-shirts, the vulgarity, people wear without shame. The Bible says their glory is their shame. What? You, it, listen, if you don't think this culture is affecting the church, you're mistaken. And if you don't think this culture is affecting our own personal lives, you are sadly mistaken. How in the world has this happened? Our hearts have become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has dulled our conscience, it has deceived our hearts, and it has defiled us. We have become open to deception and temptation, pride and every other evil vice that you can think of. Unconfessed sin has caused a downward spiral of corruption. And it's drug us deeper and deeper and deeper into its clutches. Society has become more corrupt and more tolerant of the worst debauchery. And this erosion of our social standards, the obscenity and the moral perversion that's all around us, has had a profound effect upon our lives and upon our churches. Alexander Pope, who lived from 1688 till 1744, was an English poet who penned these words. Sin is a monster of such awful mien that to be hated needs but to be seen. But seen too oft familiar with face, we first endure, then pity then embrace.
God's word says, save yourself from this untoward, this crooked and perverted generation. Don't you think it's time for us to get our light back? Don't you think it's time for us to get salty once again? As a result, and I'm going to close with this. I have a few, a couple, two more pages here, but I'll close with this. As a result of the silencing of our conscience, we have now turned the church house into entertainment centers. I want to quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now, Spurgeon lived during the mid-1800s. I want you to listen closely what he had to say. This is an excerpt from one of his messages. The devil has seldom done a more clever thing than hinting to the church that part of their mission is to provide entertainment for the people with a view to winning them to Christ. From speaking out the gospel, the church has gradually toned down her testimony, then winked at and excused the for, for, uh, for vileties of the day. Then she tolerated them in her borders. Now she has adopted them under the plea of reaching the masses. My first contention is that providing amusement for the people is nowhere spoken about in the Holy Scriptures as a function of the church. If it is a Christian work, then why did not Christ ever speak of it? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and provide amusement for those who do not relish the gospel? No such words, however, are ever found. It did not seem to occur to him. Where do entertainers come in? The Holy Spirit is silent concerning them. Were the prophets persecuted because they amused the people? Or because they confronted them with their sin? You may say, why is this all so important, Pastor? Because unless there's a conviction of sin, there'll be a no turning to Christ for salvation. That's what it really all comes down to. No conviction of sin, no turning to the Savior for forgiveness of that sin. No conviction of sin, no sanctification in the believer's life. My dear church family, this is a very serious issue. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening 
at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.